You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review, powered by Westwood One Podcast Network. This is your one respite, one and only respite from the groupthink, the distractions, the false choices, and downright misinformation. So much chaos. So little leadership. That is today's theme. I I don't remember a week like this. And I know I've said that before. <laughs> but every week is just a crescendo of intensity and it gets more intense every week. I've never seen a week where there are so many things that need to be addressed and so little leadership. I need five of me. I need a staff and I don't have it. Um. In no particular order. Okay, so we have Democrats that are on the cusp of overturning two Senate seats, two governorships, seven or so House races post-election. I'm not saying 100% of it is illegitimate, but there's a lot of problems based on what courts have ruled with a lot of these provisional ballots, plus incompetence, plus downright fraud, particularly in the Broward County, Florida case, plus just in general, this – what what's starting to happen now is this is going to make a very big difference of hey a bad election that you can make a lot of lemonade out of those lemons to downright a wave election post game you know we have early voting now i guess we have late voting that's a big deal we have the republican leadership elections where we have no pulse or in conservative media to even talk about it jim jordan challenging kevin mccarthy this is going to be done on wednesday open and shut Closed ballot, no pressure. Jordan's going to get crushed. I don't know what to do about it. We're going to continue with the garbage leadership. You have McConnell not doing anything to pass any budgets or legislation. Going to continue with this garbage of just focusing on more judges. You have criminal justice deform. Republicans take the lesson of the election that they're losing suburban voters and they have in their pocket a natural conservative issue that they could crush the Democrats on weak on crime and instead of crushing them and exposing them and running ads against all these members that support that type of stuff, particularly the ones in the districts that gave them the majority that will be hard for them to hold, no, they go and join with it. You have Trump firing Jeff Sessions of all people and not firing the other schmucks in the administration that are anti his agenda. And conservatives say nothing about it. And then once it's done already, you have the important decision who to pick. And again, there's no conservative focus on who that person needs to be, be needs picked. And indeed, Chris Christie is wiggle, wiggling his fat rear end into the building there to get picked. Met with Jared Kushner, of all people. You have the courts out of control beyond belief on immigration, on mandating amnesty, on the border, on deportations, on global warming, on the Keystone Pipeline, 
on election law. As I write in my comprehensive piece today, we'll link to in show notes, my end of week column. Not only are the courts rendering elections moot by determining the outcome of every public policy issue, but they're actually ensuring Republicans can't win elections through redistricting. Ten or so voting anomalies that we spoke about yesterday, blockbuster episode, if you haven't heard it, episode 303 with Logan Churchwell, um, brilliant debriefing of just everything going on in the asymmetrical warfare with election law. That is everything. We don't have men on the field. My brain can't think straight, but I'm forgetting a number of other issues as well. Obviously, immigration and, and the caravan coming and the every the, the daily caravan of hundreds of people that we don't talk about. All the opportunities and pitfalls ahead, legislatively, leadership-wise, personnel picks. And yet, the entire week post-election, the entire conservative media was focused on Acosta. Look, Acosta's a D-bag. I'm glad Sarah Sanders revoked his press credentials. There's no unalienable right to access to the White House. I don't have access. You don't have, need that. Forget about whether how hard he may have shoved the um, young intern there. Um, he was rude and belligerent and interrupting for months. He should have been had his you know press badge revoked anyway. But we spend hours debating this stuff. And I don't know how many of the aforementioned issues I'm going to have time to get to today. I'm going to try and I'm going to start with the attorney general stuff. But I will tell you that we're all missing the boat. Acosta is not the problem. He's a clown. The problem is that the left has an endless cadre of personnel and funding of real serious policy, political, and legal people that are implementing the vision of Acosta in reality while we're doing nothing about it. See, they have their Acostas, but they have their serious people too. We, we put up our own clowns to sit and flatulate on cable news to talk about Acosta, pro or con, but we only have clowns. We don't have the serious policy, personnel, political, legal people on the ground combating every premise, every policy outcome, making the case for Trump to you know, make the right decisions on personnel and policy, f- pressuring McConnell. You have my article from yesterday laying down the case that this is as far away as you can get from a general election as possible, right? We just completed a general election. Now is primary time. Start today. There's seven or eight red state rhinos in states that Trump carried often by 20, 30 points while Trump is going to be on the ballot up for election. Where's the recruitment? Where's the effort to recruit candidates of substance against these 15 to 20 most vulnerable House Democrats to win back the majority? Hold, hold these people to their election promises. Shame them. But again, with the right candidates. You know, I used to do that in a previous job, and it helped win back the House in 2010. We would go after all these red state um, Democrats in the House, 
claiming to be moderates and we totally expose all the stuff they're doing that's radical leftist. Where's the effort to do that? I know they haven't taken office yet, but we already have a lot of ways we could pressure them. But you have to have a fight over real issues. Have a fight over sovereignty, over voter integrity, updating motor voter, non-citizens voting. Nobody wants that in these suburban districts. Nobody wants crime and letting out heroin traffickers and gun felons on a federal level who really did worse things in most cases but were never convicted on it. Nobody wants that. But if you don't talk about it, no one knows about it. And if no one knows about it, well, no one knows what, what the Democrats are doing. And all the voters in suburban districts see is Trump's rhetoric that they don't really like. They're turned off by everything he's making about himself. And that's what they see. So that's how you had these liars like Abigail Spanberger, who ran against Dave Bratt with a ton of special interest money, which was sickening, just saying, oh, bipartisan. Oh, Trump's saying horrible things. I'm going to work to get things done. And, you know, the, these people are totally nuts and radical leftists. They're just lying to their voters, and they're very easy to expose. But again, we have no leadership. Nobody is pointing to the discernible policy outcomes on our side, on elections, on primaries, on leadership races, on an executive personnel, issue after issue after issue, what we should be doing. And again, like you know me. I'm not even a Republican. I think the party is irremediably broken. But don't you guys want to win? I mean here's the blueprint, and no one listens. We need a new contract with America. We need a new statement of principles, what we believe in, appeal to these voters. There's no reason we should be losing to upper middle class suburban voters, given what Democrats are doing. I mean, again, people like Abigail Spanberger running in that district in, in you know outside of Richmond, looking at her, you could understand why people weren't giving the impression like, oh, yeah, this is someone who's – defecating on cop cars like no they didn't think of that type of crowd but that's the crowd she's supporting and getting supported by but no she looked like the quintessential suburban mom she had her young kids you know hanging on her skirt while she was giving her acceptance speech you know i mean it's that type of thing she didn't sound that radical but believe me when she gets in there um there's gonna be a lot to to hit her on but we need the right candidates and all the Senate opportunities. I can't do this alone. But the entire industry of conservative talkers, thinkers, writers, think tanks, C4, C, 501c3s, C4s, they're worthless. What are they doing? The left doesn't sleep. They think of everything. I mean, listen again to yesterday's show. They have us around the neck. They have, v, they have mills of law schools that churn out all these young people often come from wealthy suburbs. They don't have God in their lives, so they need to feel this quasi-spiritual uh, fulfillment. They need to latch on to something. So they go to the endless Soros-funded C3s, nonprofits, and do all this work. Oh, I'm going to go fight racism. And then it, it's, it's perfect. They have the ground troops. They have the money. And they'll fight for all the electoral anomalies. 
immigration policies. And, and we have no men on the field. I mean, you know, in Florida, while DeSantis and Scott were winning, although that might be overturned, over 60% voted to allow felons to vote. I mean, I don't see how we win Florida again. I mean, our own people, because we had no, it was a one-sided fight. They framed it. And that's the end game of criminal justice reform. 99.9% of the so-called BS conservative movement is supporting criminal justice reform. And yet, its entire end game is creating a permanent Democrat majority, just like amnesty is. And there's no leadership. So, again, I can go on and on about that, but let's let's take this issue one by one. So, comes in first thing after the election, presumably gets a bigger majority in the Senate, rather than doing good with that, oh, now I'm going to fire session, so now it's easier to appoint someone else. So, first off, really, Donald? I mean, really? Now, let me say this. There's a whole bunch of thumbsucker religiously dogmatic anti-Trumpers on the phony right that are suddenly praising Jeff Sessions as a way of attacking Trump, but they never praised him for all of his policies, and in fact, they oppose them. So they have no leg to stand on here. I do. Um, see, let me just agree for a minute that Sessions was weak on Rosenstein and Mueller and all that stuff. I mean, there's there is an argument to be made by the way that, you know, he was helping Trump by not being political and in the end it appears that the whole thing's a dud and the media's starting to recognize that. So whatever, but but you know, Trump can never forgive him for that and and that's it. You know, Trump does have beliefs and we've said that before, but anytime something gets personal, that will, you know, certainly overcome it. So Despite the fact that this man single-handedly gave him more conservative backing than anyone else, he was the only sitting senator to back him. Um, it was shocking at the time that he backed him over Cruz, and that really, you know, at a time when Cruz maybe had a chance to catch him, Sessions single-handedly gave the credibility from people that were in that crowd, and it just really bothers me, you know, because if one thing. You could say about Trump is everyone always said he was loyal, and that really bothers me. Now, either way, people – you can't forget that there's more to life as an attorney general than the Mueller probe. Okay, That's going to end soon. It's immigration, crime, religious liberty, affirmative action. I mean, it's everything. It's the law. It's combating judicial supremacism. Even if you really were someone who's very critical of Sessions on the Mueller stuff, you cannot deny that on the policy outcomes, he did more and had more of an agenda than any cabinet secretary. Why, why is he not firing Mattis, Mnuchin, all these other jerks? Get rid of Javanka. Of all people, Sessions is the one who has to go. So nonetheless, it's done. So where do we go from here? A couple things. First of all, just to close the loop on Sessions, I've been saying this for a while. I'm going to encourage him personally. I'm, I'm, I've encouraged his staff and his orbit. He needs to run immediately for the special because it's filling the seat. I mean, or it's filling out the term of Doug Jones, who won that you know crazy special election. He's up in 2020, and again, I mean, the race starts now. Remember that primaries in 
in presidential years start earlier. So that starts now. I, I think everyone agrees that's a consensus move because the Senate Republicans suck. There's no leadership. Ted is whatever. He's kind of neutered. Um, we need him back. We need him back. He That is naturally where he's most effective. He always was more effective there. We need him back. He's revered in in Alabama. Really, anyone would defeat Doug Jones in a second there under normal circumstances, but he would he would essentially end the race by announcing it. I would imagine Doug Jones would just retire. Um, and then that clears the field so you don't have you know the issues with the primaries and another stupid establishment guy. That's a clean pickup of a Democrat seat with a solid conservative who will be a leader, unite everyone, no problems, done. So I think he should announce tomorrow and campaign and use that as a platform to be that voice that we need on so many issues. So that's with that. Now, as far as the replacement, so there's there's Matt Whitaker, who is the acting AG that Trump appointed. He was um, Sessions' chief of staff. Matt Whitaker is awesome, okay? If you're upset with Sessions over Mueller, I will tell you he is – Everything Sessions is on all the issues, but he'll be tough on Hillary and the investigation, yada, yada. Um, I honestly think the best choice at this point is just to keep him. Not necessarily politically, but certainly just policy-wise to keep him. Um, he is he is good. Just keep him. Obviously, he has to get confirmed by the Senate. And if we have time, we're gonna. I might discuss the legal questions people are raising whether he could have been temporarily appointed because he's, um, you know, he was never confirmed by the Senate. Statute explicitly allows Trump to do that. 1998 um, Vacancy Reform Act, but you know, some are saying, well, the statute's unconstitutional. Well, I mean. It's an interesting academic debate, but I mean, you can't blame Trump for following that statute, at least at least as of now. Before you know, there's more inquiry into it. But you know, again, that's neither here nor there for now. So this guy is to me is is solid. Now that's why you're seeing this dehumanization campaign of Matt Whitaker because they know he's good. By the way, they're like this guy doesn't believe in Marbury, and meanwhile, as we discussed you know in so many of our episodes i believe episode 248 where we gave a full history of marbury actually if you understand what marbury actually did it's a refutation to judicial supremacy so whatever um but anyway there's that other good options in my mind there aren't too many one i could think of is ludig um judge michael ludig the former Fourth Circuit judge of a Court of Appeals judge who was the runner-up to Roberts on the short list of George W. Bush for Supreme Court. Um, he's now the big you know, chief counsel for Boeing. I think um, I know him. I've gotten to know him recently, and he would be solid. Another interesting name you probably never heard of, and again, I think this guy would be good just politically. Politically, the best person you could have is – Someone who's solid on all our issues will 
clean out DOJ, but they don't have a paper trail of just, you know, saying things about Mueller or whatever, you know, they can make political, kind of a low-key guy that no one ever heard of. And one interesting idea a friend of mine raised is um, Judge Raymond Rand- Randolph. He is now a senior judge on the D.C. Court of Appeals, second highest court. Senior judge, um, for those of you who don't know, means semi-retired, where, you know, they go into semi-retired status that it triggers a vacancy. Their seat is filled by an active, a new active pick, active judge. But he still hears, you know, 25 or 50, 50% of the caseload, and he could still make decisions. And I believe he's uh, he's at 50% status unless he's changed. So anyway, he's he's a solid, solid guy. Um, but, you know, very, very low-key and... I, th- I think that might be an interesting option. But either way, conservatives need to make these positions known because Chris Christie's wiggling his way in there. Christie sucks. Christie is 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 an anathema to everything we believe in. He's a political whore. He's terrible on immigration, terrible on crime. Think for a minute he's going to fight for religious liberty. You're crazy. No. And, and and for 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 those in the, you know, conservative media that can't think past loyalty to Trump and Mueller and whatever, there's more to life than that. Okay? So that's that's that. And by the way, you do have to understand that a big part of what downed sessions was not just Mueller. It was all of the people that hate Sessions because of his tough stance on crime got to Trump through Jared, who's a shill for jailbreak and a cancer on everything we believe, and piled on. Hey, he's undermining us. Hey, uh, you know, so that that helped too. So, you know, just understand, and this will be a good segue into our next issue, jailbreak. The issue of jailbreak, every single Soros master of the universe, I've never seen an issue like this in my life. It is the most destructive, damaging issue that 90% of the public doesn't support if they knew what was going on, but 99% of the political class supports it. It is such a juggernaut. Let me explain to you how much of a juggernaut this issue is. See, Jared Kushner has a chip on his shoulder because his dad, who was a Democrat fundraising crook, was thrown in the joint by Chris Christie when he was U.S. attorney in New Jersey. And he's upset about long sentences and this and that, and that's why he wants to do jailbreak. Now, never mind the fact that whether you agree or disagree, whatever the details were, his father was locked up for white-collar crimes. And there is nothing in the legislation they are proposing to – deal with overcriminalization of certain white collar crimes that all of us maybe would would agree are overcriminalized it is all the letting go of antifa like street thugs drug traffickers gun felons and that is just the down payment they are open about expanding this to the violent crime categories and already have in that piece of legislation to juvenile murderers serving more than 20 years to reopen their sentencing and so that that's what Jared is doing. I'm not kidding you. I was texting with Mark Meadows yesterday, and I was joking around with him, and I said, 
you know, I was like, what the hell with this Chris Christie stuff? You know, this is nuts. Like, where is this coming from? And basically, I, I, I said, like, I was joking around with him. I was saying, well, you know, one good news is that this is this is one area where Jared will help us because, you know, um, he hates Chris Christie, and that's how he was originally banished from the tr- transition team. So there's no way he could ever get past Jared and become AG. And then three minutes later, I see an NBC reporter report that Chris Christie is meeting with, with Jared about being AG and criminal justice reform. Because Christie is a leftist. He was tough on crime when he was U.S. attorney because it benefited him then. But if the winds of the political elites are here, he, he's, he's changed. He's already changed. So think about that for a moment. This issue is so powerful that it will bring together the man who threw his dad in jail if he's willing to now push jailbreak. That's how powerful that is. And by the way, there's a man named Tim Scott. He's the extremely junior senator from South Carolina. Dumbest man in the Senate. I know everyone thinks he's a concern. No, he's not. This is the man, if you remember, that downed a very serious and scholarly, legitimate Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals nominee that Trump nominated by accusing him of being racist for simply having college writings that were very thoughtful on the need to treat everyone equally and stop having these sectarian racial groups on college. You know, you know we, we, we shouldn't have white ones. We shouldn't have black ones. It was very thoughtful. It was something we all claim to believe in. And like an idiot, he downed that nomination. Tim Scott is a racialist. I'm sorry. So he – so imagine – you know, Jeff Sessions steps down, is fired. What's the number one thing on his mind? See, I'm not making this up. Like, I'm not overemphasizing jailbreak. Believe me, this is the next issue they're pushing. So he says, I am hopeful the pres- that President Trump will take this opportunity to nominate a replacement that is invested in criminal justice reform. The AG is uniquely placed to lead our nation forward on this important issue. Don't doubt me, folks. This is the number one issue they're focused on. See, Conservative media is all into Mueller, but the thumb-sucking loser Republicans and inside and outside the administration and Congress, you know what their number one priority is for AG? Someone who has Soros' view on criminal justice. That is the state of being of the Republican Party and the conservative movement. You can't get more Orwellian than that. You just lost an election because of suburbs. And you have an issue tailor-made to get them back. Let me, let me share with you polling that just came out a couple weeks ago. Now, unlike our opponents who dishonestly misrepresent the policies and the proposals in their questions, like, should we lock someone up for 100 years who was nonviolent and was one time smoking marijuana? Okay, that's what they did. They, they just lie. This was straight up. They asked questions. Should we reduce sentencing for heroin traffickers? Right? That is literally what the bill is. There's nothing. There's nothing cute. We didn't overemphasize. The poll was straight up. 74% oppose a, repo- a proposal to reduce the penalties for drug trafficking while only 18% support it. Only 9% of Republicans support reducing penalties. Opposition is the strongest among middle-class families with kids between the ages of 13 and 17. That's the Spanberger demographic. Only 14% of that group support it. 
Only 14% of Americans think we are too tough on drug trafficking. Only 7% of women over the age of 45 think we are too tough. 90% of Republicans say they care whether their representative supports a proposal to reduce the penalties of drug trafficking. 82% say supporting a reduction in penalties make the respondents think less highly of the representatives. Let me tell you a story, folks. And by the way, you, you could never get better polling on any issue than that. And let me illustrate that for you. I live, as you well know, in Baltimore County, Maryland. That is a place, it used to be kind of a battleground, unlike Baltimore City, which was always a cesspool. But over the last generation, since I, I was a kid, it's, you know, they moved out the city to the county and it's, it's you, can, you cannot win. You, you cannot, you, you, you know, even if you run a solid candidate for county executive, state, you know, countywide, you, you can't get more than 45%. Um, and certainly in the county council district, right, that's only a councilman, so that's only a district of the county. Um, there's one of seven of them. In, in the district that I'm in, you know, you can't win more than like 38 to 40 percent, right? I mean, if the Democrat is caught with a dead body in their trunk, they could not lose election. So I'm just telling you, they don't have to really compete much and whatever. So this guy running for the vacancy for county council here, Democrat, left this puke beyond belief. But no, nobody knows that. He doesn't run like that. He's like, hey, you know, slaps everyone's back, the door knocking. Um, yeah, I went to school with your brother, that type of thing. And, and by the way, just to interject here, this is somewhat of a lesson that the left is totally outdoing us on grassroots. You know, just putting ideology aside, they, they work much harder. The Republican Party is comatose. And again, uh, Logan discussed this with just just the you know the ballot harvesting, the abstinence ballots. Some of what Democrats are doing are unethical and even illegal, but other stuff, they're not necessarily illegal. They just show up and play the game. Now, sometimes they enacted the game and had the courts illegally enact the game for them. But you know, they 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 maximize it. Our side doesn't show up, so these guys are good at door knocking. And so I have guys that go to services with me, um, and you know, friends of mine. And one day, it was it was two weeks ago, right before the election. I'm passing by one guy's house, and I see a sign up for the puke. Now, this guy is not like you know a suburban mom, Whole Foods voter that swung to the Democrats. This is a guy that listens to talk radio all day. He's always yapping to me about stuff. Oh, you know this and that, and um, you know he's what you would call a conservative base voter. And he's freaking as not just voting for, but as a sign up for a Maryland style Democrat, you know, which is you know, worse than a national Democrat. And, you know, so, um, you know, I, I see him at synagogue and, and after services, I go over and I was like, what the heck? You know, what happened to that sign? Did you not see the sign up? And he kind of gives me this sheepish look, and he's like, well, you know, the guy came to my door, and, you know, I, I'll look, I'll knock it down later. And, and he did knock it down. Um, but, you know, that look in his eye. And then he told me, he told me, you know, he said it'll be tough on crime. And I was like, Louie, like, what the heck? Do you understand even Republicans are weak on crime? Do you know where this guy's coming from? But here's the point. 
even in Baltimore County, he felt the need to go around in these neighborhoods and say, I'm going to be tough on crime. And yet Republicans are running a big week of crime and not exposing them for what they're doing. You could win elections solely on that issue. We're leaving so much on the table. And then, by the way, just just another um, to extrapolate on that lesson. So then I then there was another friend of mine who's um, you know we study Bible together, very close with him, and he is like a Republican hack, sometimes in an annoying way, like just everything's Fox News and. Trey Gowdy and Republican this and you know typical Republican vote, but you would think okay at least you know you're not going to care about primaries, you're not going to care about perfecting the Republican Party, but you're going to vote Republican, right? So you, so I, I I go up to him and I say, hey, did you hear that? Louis got a sign for this Patoka clown, you know, outside his house, and he looks at me like kind of half embarrassed and is like, well, uh, um, I uh. I I have one too. And not only that, um the guy asked me if I can put out a a Johnny O sign. That was the guy who was running for the county executive position. He's like literally a communist. And extreme and he's like a total anarchist against the police. And I I, I like I, I look at him and I'm I'm trying to conjure up the words. I mean, imagine a guy that every time before you start Bible study, he rants about, you know, everyone's attacking Trump and Trump this and he's for Trump. And like, like I said, did you – I'm stumbling on my words. I, I was just like – I felt like strangling him. I said, did you did you look up the guy's social media? You know, we have something called the internet nowadays where if someone knocks on your door, you don't have to take their word for it. Did you look up his Twitter? Like You see he's bashing Trump every second. Um, he's bashing the tax cuts and – you know, he said, well, you know, he said he went to school with my brother. Um, and I'm like, you know, I started to realize it's not that voters don't agree with us. It's that our views are not even getting out to them. We're not even – because we're not, we're not utilizing the leverage points and the megaphones – to draw a sharp and bold contrast, define them and define who we are. So people just gravitate. The left outside of a couple of neighborhoods, real urban areas, and like Eugene, Oregon type of suburbs, they will not run on what they do. Meaning it's terrible what's happening, Republicans losing these suburbs. But I don't think it has to be that way. A lot of it is... They don't like Trump's just narcissism. Everything's about I, 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 which they're not wrong on. But then, you know, Democrats just come and they run on, especially in these type of neighborhoods, they run on a refreshing change and this and that. They don't say who they are. But if we actually hit them on crime, who knows what would happen? Yet I'm telling you, it's the number – this is the next thing they're going to do. It's the number one criterion for an, an attorney general, and it's the number one legislative item that they want to pursue. <laughs> I mean you cannot get a more of a perverse strategy than that rather than passing out of the Senate tough on crime laws and shaming these Democrats, running ads on them. Like, no, we'll actually pass it. And what's going to happen is – 
because there's no disagreement over it, no one's going to even know they passed to protest it and shame these people. No leadership. So much chaos. Yet no leadership on our side. All righty. So let's, let's move on to immigration. We're going to have a lot more on jailbreak in the coming days as nobody's going to focus on that. But, it, but again, I mean, this is the GOP plan to win back voters. So immigration. The president issued an order yesterday, or, or at least DOJ published it. I don't know if he formally um, proclaimed it. I believe that still hasn't happened yet. Uh, where he's basically going to invoke, as we called upon him to do, Section 212F and 215A of the Immigration Nationality Act to shut down the border. But not really. So I was very happy when I saw 215A especially. I knew they got that from me. Um, And I really was going to immediately put out a piece praising them because I felt, you know, you got to take yes for an answer. When we call for it and they do it, um, you know, you got to make sure they get positive feedback and we defend it from the inevitable backlash of the left. But, you know, the more I see, we keep agreeing to the philosophy of the left fundamentally as laid out by Kirsten Nielsen, the DHS secretary, which, by the way, why wasn't she fired? Of course it has to be Sessions. Anyway, but the thing here is he's agreeing to their premise. Why? I don't want to say there's no utility to this order. There's there's a first half of it that I think – is good. Um, I think it's it's solid. But again, it's still it doesn't make sense to me. They went very broad with his authority, but then applied it narrowly. So they basically said, President has all the authority to shut down immigration, yada yada, everything I'm saying. Now they should have also invoked Article Two of the Constitution he has his inherent authority. I wish they would have done that. Um, but fine. And therefore, dot, 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 well, what do you expect them to say? What we called on them to do is say, we will never take any cross-border migration. You cannot apply for any status at our border. Therefore, you have to go to a consulate in Mexico. It's got to be taken off our shores, period. What he did was say, you have to go to a point of entry, and like, oh, no, like, no, 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 no. That's what Kirsten Nielsen was saying the whole time, and it misses the point. There's basically two problems going on at the border. One is the fact that you have so many bogus asylees coming over is empowering the drug cartels and creating chaos for the border patrol that is allowing the drugs and the gangs to pour over the national security problems so that much, let's assume with an asterisk, because I have a comment on that in a minute, that this will help by driving the magnet to the points of entry and not between the points of entry. So at least the border agents there will be able to, in a more calm, stable fashion, deal with the problems and maybe deal with the drug cartels. 
that much helps. But there's another half. Fundamentally, they have no right to come here. Fundamentally, they are not asylees. They are not asylees. None of them. Zero. None. Even the 5% or so that were granted status, it was because you have this deep state liberal immigration judges who are former liberal immigration attorneys. That's the truth. None of them are asylees. An asylee is someone who either has an individualized persecution at the hands of the government, such as, in my view, Charlie Gard in England, Charlie Gard's parents. That's, that's a case, in my mind, of a legitimate asylum. Or if it's a group of people, it's a persecuted religious or ethnic minority, like the Yazidis, at the hands of the Sunnis. Here, it's a homo- homogenous populace of the same ethnicity, same religion. There's no persecution. It's generally a violent and impoverished country, and they are fleeing more the poverty than the violence because, as I noted, and I'm going to link to this in show notes, I have all the data. No one has done this. I plotted on a graph the homicide rates together with the migration rates, and there's a almost a perfectly inverse relationship between the rates of homicide and the rates of violence, and in addition – in addition to that, the countries that have the most violence, like El Salvador, by far, three times more homicide than Guatemala, yet they have half the immigration of Guatemala. Mexico, where the migration is actually down, violence is up the last decade because of the cartel wars fueled by our open borders. Asylum petitions have spiked 1,744% since 2009 when Obama was elected and magnetized our border. Over that same period, homicide has dropped 16% in El Salvador, 35% in Honduras, and 43% in Guatemala. The most in Guatemala, yet we have the most immigration from there. So I'll, I'll link to that piece in show notes. This is something that... The conservative libertarian legal profession, which is influencing the administration, is clueless on. And it's the same thing with anchor baby jurisprudence. This Amelia Bedelia stuff, oh no, it says you have to let an asylum. It says if you're born here, uh, so therefore people could invade. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You don't need to change a statute. See, if I say, first of all, nothing is shall, it's may. Nothing forces us to let anyone in. And to the extent, even in the regular construction of asylum statute, you could assert that, which you can't because it's may not shall, but let's say you could, 212F is a circuit breaker. 215A is a circuit breaker that shuts off all immigration when the president feels there's a need and he doesn't have to prove any data on that or something. He could just, that, that's political to fight him on. And of course, inherent article two, the courts have said this incessantly before they went crazy. The whole point is to shut it down even at the points of entry. Forget about the, oh, do it in a stable fashion, stable fashion in a consulate. If you let them in, if you magnetize, if you say, okay, bogus asylees, please don't come between the point of entry. Come at the point of entry. No! You are bogus asylees and we're not letting you in. And if you feel you have a legitimate claim, go to a consulate. Because what's going to happen is they're just going to come to the points of entry, 
declare asylum, and we have the same catch and release problems. Bring a kid, release the kid, and they say you can't separate the families to release everyone and done. Now, the caravan was headed there anyway. That's the joke about it. The caravan wasn't going to go sneak in. They weren't sneaking. That's the whole point. They're doing lawfare. The first caravan last year went to the San Diego point of entry. So I, I don't know what, what you're – it's this premise that somehow everyone has a right to asylum. It's just let's channel it this way, and there's nothing we can do. Oh, let's change the process. No. The whole point of invoking 212F was to say, I'm done. I could shut off all immigration. We're not taking asylees. And certainly to say, you don't even have to categorically say that. You say, I'm going to route it to, you You could apply, but it has to be done in a consulate. Done. Nothing trumps sovereignty. If we can't understand that, we're lost. So that, that's the issue with that. And, and, and by the way, this is the same problem we're going to have with them doing the wrong thing, this whole budding movement to work with Pelosi to trade some sort of border infrastructure funding in exchange for amnesty. Border infrastructure is not the problem. We don't have a border security problem. We have a magnet problem. And to the extent we have a resource problem at the border, it's only once we have the magnet, then they get overwhelmed because they come because of the magnet. So if I say I'm going to have amnesty, magnet, oh, but then throw money at the border wall, it's like saying you have a a stage four cancer patient. I'm going to do radiation, but I'm going to slit his wrist. Well, the radiation don't matter at that point, buddy. That's the part we don't have, as I explained in a, a couple of weeks ago. In the in the 90s and the 2000s, we had a problem of people trying to evade detection, sneaking in mass numbers, and we didn't have the resources to deal with it or the awareness, and we had to raise awareness, build a fence, have border patrol. But now, like I told you, they want to be caught. We're saying, come on in. Anyone who lives in a third world country is an asylee. So they're going to come. If you tell them they can't come, they won't come. It's that simple. You don't need a border wall. I mean, I'm all for it, but I'm just saying if you do that, they'll climb over the fence as they're doing in Yuma because they want to get caught by border patrol waiting for them at the bottom. And then again, Jessica Vaughn tells me, I spoke with her last night. She tells me that even between the points of entry, what, what do you think by shutting down immigration? Meaning we're saying you're not allowed in. That meaning we will use force or threaten the use of force or at the very least we're going to push you back over. But no. She tells me what they're going to do is they're, they're going to still process them, bring them in, albeit it won't – it will have a higher threshold because they're going to apply for um, withholding of removal rather than asylum. But again, it's the same problem that they, they're going to come with kids – and let go and yada yada. It's a policy problem we have. It's not an infrastructure, border funding, or a rounding to a point of entry issue. Fundamentally, again, I do want to give them credit. I'm not going to deny that there is utility to the status quo um, of, you know, kind of 
disempowering the drug cartels. But but again, I'd argue that I'm not clear that what they're doing is going to even dissuade them from coming, even between the points of entry. Remember, most of what we're dealing with is not a caravan. It's the daily individuals or groups coming over. And the caravan was never going to come between points of entry anyway. So if you're just going to process the invasion at our border, I mean, like, what happens if someone comes to a border agent and has their fist in their border agent's face and says, give me asylum or else I'll beat you up or pulls out a knife? Is that an asylee? Well, he asserted a credible fear. You have to at least process it and wait for the immigration. No! The laws weren't created for retards. That's not textualism. Laws don't say that anyway, but I mean, even if they did, it's the same thing with this anchor baby jurisprudence. Ha, 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 I'm in the country and I'm in your confines. Not to mention that jurisdiction at the time didn't mean that and that the court said for 130 years that if you come here without consent, it's as if you're physically not present in the country for any status, but that's just whatever. Which leads me to my final point, the judicial supremacism. Notice this all gets back to the courts. Well, why is this a problem? Well, because they come with kids. Why do they come with kids? Well, because we release them. Why do we release them? Because of the courts. And even this order, everyone expects, and we're now okay with this, that foreign nationals could traipse into our country, file an injunction to get in. If we are going to validate that as, as a legitimate ruling that's binding on the other on the executive branch, I don't know what to tell you, folks. We don't have a country. There's nothing left. And, and this is the broader problem. This is the problem. You know, my thesis on the judiciary doesn't fit on a bumper sticker, and it's very frustrating how to get this out, get it to people's heads, that what we're doing is not working. We're playing their games. Oh, just appoint better judges. It's not working. They're getting worse. You need to delegitimize judicial supremacism. That's the only avenue. And really, it takes my whole book to understand it. But I tried in one article to get as many points as I can. It's a long article, but the one today we're going to link to in show notes. But I want to discuss some of the points. You know, you're, you're seeing one after another. A district judge says – Teenagers could sue the government for global warming, and they have to sit and waste DOJ resources, present evidence on science. Otherwise, he's going to make them put it, enact certain regulations. They stopped the Keystone Pipeline yesterday. The one thing everyone's banding about is the big you know, policy victory we got because of the comatose Republican Congress. The one thing, well, the Keystone Pipeline, the court said – this was an um, Obama judge in Montana, Brian something, said that Trump didn't show enough of an explanation for why he's undoing what Obama did. This is like the 20th example I have. I wrote a piece on 13 examples of courts saying Trump has to continue Obama's discretionary or sometimes lawless policies. Since then, I found like 10 other cases, and this is one of them. It defies logic. But folks, this is the game. The Ninth Circuit said yesterday, DACA is the law of the land. And again, judges mandated ballot harvesting, all sorts of provisional ballots against state law, 
in so many states and have influenced the outcome of elections. I'll repeat it again. Cooper is governor of North Carolina over McCreary because of the margin of victory was all from the harvested ballots that pursuant to North Carolina, North Carolina law duly passed by the state legislature and signed by the governor are illegal. But the Fourth Circuit said you must do it. And again, I will tell you that we likely lost roughly eight seats in Virginia, Pennsylvania, and elsewhere on election night because of judicial gerrymandering mid-district, mid-decade, just the middle of, of, of – just out of nowhere, middle of an election. And almost all these cases – here's the problem – What's so creepy about it is there's one thing if we it's, – it's a bitter enough pill to swallow to believe in Supreme Court supremacism over the other two branches. That on a broadly consequential political issue of national character or state character that is a broad public policy issue, they grant standing to a straw man plaintiff that is not individualized. They're just putting it in court because they don't like the policy, and it's, it's not – pertaining to any one person individually, it's a broad political question that somehow their decision in that case is binding as a political decision on the other states and the other branches of government. That is the most fundamental question we need answered right here, right now. And until we answer that question, we have worse than North Korea. We have no government left. Elections don't even matter. A, because all the decisions that the elect- elected officials will make will get overturned, and B, they're ensuring only Democrats can win elections by determining election law, which the Constitution gave to the states with an avenue for the Congress to get involved, not the federal courts. But, he, but, but none of the conservative legal people will, will assert this. It's one after another. You, you can't ignore these issues. You know, I tell Republicans, like... I get it you don't give a darn about marriage, religious liberty, sovereignty, crime, whatever whatever stuff the courts are doing. But you are Republicans and you do want to get elected. Don't you realize they're creating permanent Democrat majorities with their with the policies they're enacting? And again, the Supreme Court, even under Kennedy, and certainly now that's at least somewhat better with Kavanaugh, how much we'll see, they would have never enacted 95% of this stuff. You know they wouldn't have done it. But it's randomly shopped lower courts that until and unless they're overturned, they're they're regarded as the law of the land. And even when they are overturned, they come back for more because no two cases are alike and they just violate the legal rationale behind their ruling in the Supreme Court ruling they don't like. And that's it. It's heads they win, tails they win. Because what people don't understand is it's not just about a whip count on the Supreme Court or even so much a whip count on the lower courts, although that's important. The legal profession controls the unofficial and official rules and legal culture of the legal profession. They control the arc of litigation, the ACLU, the NAACP. That's it. They, 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 they rigged the rules. We're like, okay, we're going to walk in their haunted house, but we're going to win. We're going to agree to judicial supremacism, but let's try to get our guys in there. Are you that stupid? They worked it out. Don't play their game. Don't walk into the haunted house.
Stop it. Oh, we we got a Supreme Court. And it's meaningless. On the global warming case, the DOJ appealed to them, begged them twice. They said, dude, this is nuts for a lower court to, to violate every legal norm and rule of standing to grant teenagers standing to sue the government on the thermostat and demand they turn down the thermostat of God. And if not, the court will impose random regulations on legislate. I mean, you can't do that. And they're like, uh, no, go through the Ninth Circuit. Don't worry. But they asked the Ninth Circuit twice for relief and they didn't grant it. And, and still, the, court, the Supreme Court is like, don't worry. And only Thomas and Gorsuch would have granted the, the emergency motion to shut this down. Which means that Roberts, Kavanaugh, and even Alito are screwing us. It's like, this is the problem with the conservative legal profession. Even the bad stuff, they legitimize, they entertain it. Could you imagine if, you know, a, a right-wing lower court judge gave standing for us to sue the government in the abstract on, gosh, I don't know. I mean, pick, pick anything you want on not doing enough to protect us and creating violence in our neighborhoods. You know, just something like that. Do you think – I mean the Supreme Court would like grab the case without a motion to rip its roots out. Can you imagine if a lower court judge just said um, Roe and Obergefell are utter garbage and we're done with them? Could you imagine like, – let's say a district judge. Could you imagine the Supreme Court saying, now, 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 wait for the full proceedings on the merits to ripen in the Fifth Circuit, go through the process, and then you could come back? Are you kidding me? No, they wouldn't. But everything the left does is kosher in the legal culture. You could always be more progressive than the Supreme Court. And this is how they're overturning Trump v. Hawaii. And it doesn't matter, even when we, when, even when, once they agree to take up the cases. You saw a similar thing on public prayer. In, in town of Greece v. Galloway, five years ago, the Supreme Court was very clear. It was written by Anthony Kennedy, of all people, that – Unless you're coercing someone, none of this stuff violates the Establishment Clause, as we well know. That they did this from the time of our founding. Of course, you could have public prayer. North Carolina, Forsyth County, North Carolina has a um, you know, prayer at the beginning of their county commission meetings. And they're taken to court. And then the district judge and the Fourth Circuit say you can't do it. They appeal to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court refused to grant cert. And that's even though there was a circuit split with the Sixth Circuit ruled the other way. So you think at least a circuit split, they take up? No. And like, again, it was only, this was before Kavanaugh was there. It was only um, Gorsuch and Thomas that said, what the heck? They wrote a whole thing like, why are we not taking this up? Didn't we just say something in town of Greece v. Gallic? And, and, and now you have a circuit split anyway? Like, what are you doing? But I'm telling you, Roberts for sure, certain extent Alito and probably Kavanaugh, they're going to go out of their way to not take up cases because they because the left, the legal culture, put them on notice. You, you see, you think the Supreme Court's supreme. It's the legal profession that's supreme. 
And they said, you better not be too political. So they're like, yeah, yeah, we don't want to – and everyone's like, Kavanaugh's going to take it to them. No, I'm like, if you understand Kavanaugh, God bless him. You know, he it, he it rips his heart apart that they accused him of being impartial when his entire life he tried to be impartial, and he, and he was. He's never political for conservatives. So he's going to go out of his way to show that. Now, that would be fine if the lower courts weren't regarded as supreme, were ignored, or if they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. But they're as political and aggressive as, as anything. So they got to take this stuff up, but they're not. And again, on the lower court judges, you have to understand, even though Trump is filling them at a rapid pace, most of the vacancies are conservative judges retiring. So we're, we're, you know, we're not moving things ahead because remember, before Trump came in, the left had a super-duper majority between Democrats batting 1,000 and Republicans batting maybe 400. So that created, you know, a 70-80% leftist judges. So he could have two terms, he's not going to make a difference, but but it's more than that cuz most of the vacancies aren't even the liberals. A couple of them are, but most of them aren't and they're not on the circuits that matter. He's making a couple of them better, but the 4th, the 9th and DC, they got it for a lifetime and that's all they need. All they have to do is take any national policy, go where they need, it's shut down and done. And even like the Sixth Circuit, this is another good example of how the Supreme Court's not helping. We just won a case, landmark case, on Ohio's voter rolls. Ohio, um, Ohio Secretary of State lawfully used the procedures set forth in the motor voter laws to clean the state's dirty voter rolls. You you got you got to do that. You can't have dead people, hundreds of thousands of dead people. You can't have a bunch of people who change addresses, moved out of the state. Information doesn't match up. You you got to do that. And they sued it and they put it on hold for a year. It, and 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 the Sixth Circuit was horrible. Got to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court. Anthony Kennedy sided with us. Categorical ruling. No, of course, the, it's no brainer. I think Alito maybe wrote the opinion. A um, couple months later, right before the election, you know, they start sending out the notices that were, you know, if you don't respond, we're gonna, um, we're gonna take you off. The lower courts put an injunction on it, as if the Supreme Court never happened. And, you know, because again, it was a slightly different point. Now they're going after the nature of the notices. You can't win death by a thousand lawsuits, folks. You can't win this game. If you are going to agree to this process, you're done. Let, let me back up and put this in simplistic terms so you can understand the severity of what's going on. What if I told you we have a system where we could go to any one of the 535 members of the House or Senate? So that means I could go to that Somali woman – who, by the way, should be denaturalized because she naturalized fraudulently by marrying her brother. So pursuant to law, she is not naturalized and should be deported because that's a crime, much less be eligible to serve in Congress. But let's say they can go to her. They can go to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, whatever. Imagine if any one member of Congress could unilaterally rule, d- decide the character of our nation, religious liberty, election law, immigration, border, sovereignty, whatever it is. And have that 
that individual member as the law of the land until and unless it's overruled by maybe a panel of a couple of other members of Congress. Oh, and one more thing. And the rules of standing and procedures and how that's done is all controlled by Hollywood. Okay, let, let, just bear with me. And conservatives are like, that's a nice system. Let's make sure we get our people in Congress. Like, dude, but it doesn't matter because they either way they have a critical mass of their people that they could shop to. And either way, it's Hollywood, in my hypothetical here, that controls the rules of construction of how that works. So the rules are heads they win, tails they win. The rules of engagement are we win, you lose. Now, that kind of sounds like North Korea, doesn't it? I'm here to tell you that hypothetical is more democratic than the system that 90% of conservative legal eagles have acceded to that is currently in practice but is antithetical to what was adopted in the social contract in 1789. Because at least in that hypothetical, you could throw the guys out. They are elected. Move over my entire analogy to the reality of the judiciary, and they're unelected. There's not a darn thing you can do about it, but everything else is true. You could randomly pick the most liberal judge anywhere you want, that stands. Even if it gets overruled, you can come back again with 50 other angles and put it on hold again. And the legal profession, which is every bit as extreme, radical, and immoral as Hollywood, determines that. See, we're, we're always fighting yesterday's battle. For 60 years, the Supreme Court was the primary organ for social transformation without representation. Over the course of 60 years, they built a basis of rules of standing, of 14th Amendment garbage. They got everything they needed out of it. Even though they lost the majority on the Supreme Court now, they don't need more. That's enough. That platform, which conservatives will not overturn, as we see 90% of them emphatically and passionately argue for anchor baby jurisprudence of the 14th Amendment. Okay? So... They have that. They, they already have that. And we're like, man, we got the Supreme Court. Dude, that's yesterday's battle. Now they have forum shopping lower court supremacism built on a one-directional ratchet of their choosing. Try to win that game, buddy. Until and unless we build a movement to educate the public and the body politic that judicial supremacy is unlawful, nothing matters. You could take that to the bank. There's a lot more going on I didn't get to. We'll get to that, God willing, next week. We need leadership on one of these issues. I'm going to try to see what I can do to work with people like Chip Roy in Congress, some of the Claremont folks who are good intellectually, one of the few people, to try to build some sort of solutions but we can't win until we get on the playing field on all these issues. We need our men on the field. May God give us the courage, the acumen, the guidance, the vision to make that happen, to restore our republic, to do what's right in his eyes. Have a great weekend, folks. Enjoy your, your uh, holiday weekend, Veterans Day. We salute our veterans. We have to keep them in our hearts and prayers. We should only... 
put them in harm's way when there's a clear mission and give them all the tools. That's a whole other thing I'm going to get to next week. God bless our troops. God bless our border agents. God bless our ICE officials. God bless our local law enforcement and emergency responders. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conscience.